Man, I, uh, for the first time, I'm wondering if Pastor Steve ever, when he comes up and preaches, is so excited to just be done so that he can go back to worship. I'm, I can't wait to stop speaking this morning. It's great. Hey, my name is Adam. I work on staff here at Mission View as the pastor of student ministries. And it's a privilege to be able to bring God's word to you this morning. We're in a series as a church called Overcome. This is the making of a leader, specifically Paul's story. We got done with Peter uh, in 2017. And then starting in the beginning of this year, Craig Peters from Maranatha has been here. And we've begun talking about Paul. Uh, the first week of the year, he was talking about Paul's history, sort of where Paul comes from, essentially titled Paul as a murderer, so it was a great way to kick off the new year. Uh, and then last week, we looked at Paul's conversion experience, where he is on the road to Damascus and he encounters Jesus. And moving forward, soon we're going to be talking about specific areas of leadership for Paul. Very soon, we're going to talk about things like administration and service and being in the public eye, church planting, problem solving, all of these things in a practical, a practical way. But right now, today, I want to talk about Paul first as a disciple. Paul first as a disciple, sort of the aftermath of this conversion. Uh, being a disciple is the, is the first thing about being a Christian. The word Christian means little Christ. And Paul doesn't instantly become this great Christian leader. In fact, I would argue that he was a great leader before he became a Christian, and then becoming a Christian turned his whole world upside down. And so last week when, when Craig showed us uh, that this conversion experience of Paul on the road to Damascus where he encountered Jesus, we saw a lot of things. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 15. This is God speaking to Ananias, and he's the guy that was kind of over, overseeing, caretaking for Paul at this time when he, when he had this experience. And it says, But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And Paul will eventually, after this moment, go on to take three missionary journeys, as we call them. He, he'll be in Macedonia, Achaia, and Greece, all around the Mediterranean, where he's planting churches and he's suffering hardship after hardship. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. So go ahead and turn to the book of Galatians. We're in the book of Galatians. This is a letter written by Paul to the churches of Galatia in that area. And these are churches that he planted on one of his missionary journeys. Bible scholars suspect that they were probably planted a year or so prior to the time of his writing this. And he has several reasons for writing to them. Uh, and there's one that kind of seems paramount, though. This is in uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So just a year into the establishment of these churches in this area, they're beginning to be swayed away from the true gospel message that Paul learned and received at his conversion. Maybe this is wrong, but sometimes I can't help but to compare our church to the churches of the New Testament. And sometimes that's a good thing, sometimes that's a bad thing. 
in this case, I'm encouraged because I can assure you after four years, Mission View, uh, though going through various hardships as a church, we're committed to knowing and understanding and living out the true gospel message. And so that's not to say that as a church we have arrived in any sense of the word um, or, or that we have no need maybe for, for scripture. But in fact, the way that we maintain our commitment to the true gospel as a church is we continue to search and study and proclaim God's word found right here. So this morning, we are just renewing that commitment to be a Bible-based church, to be Christ-focused as a church. And so we're going to be in Galatians 1, starting in verse 11, a couple verses down. And I have three questions that are going to help us move through this section regarding the true gospel message. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. The first one is, where does the gospel come from? The true gospel message is the core of what we're talking about this morning. Where does the gospel come from, or, or what is the source? In other words, what is the, what is the origin of the gospel? Where does it come from? The second is, what is the gospel doing now, presently? What are the present circumstances surrounding the gospel? What is the, the process of the gospel? What is the gospel doing in our own lives right now today? And third, where is the gospel ultimately going? The result, the goal or objective of the gospel, or in other words, the destination of the gospel. So if you see, we kind of have a past, present, future feel. Uh, I'm going to read verse, uh, verses 11 through 24, and this is going to be our passage for this morning. Let me go ahead and read that. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But... When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of uh, Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. Okay, this is God's word. This morning, we're going to look at where does the gospel come from, what is the gospel doing now, and where is the gospel ultimately going? I don't want to get too caught up in the semantics of my questions here, so I have an illustration for you. I recently went to my sister's house, uh, who has two young boys, and she was, uh, I, I walk in and I was greeted by two dirty-looking pirates uh, who had uh, mascara, I believe it was, smudged under their eyes and on their faith, uh, uh, face as a beard. Classic technique, by the way, mascara as a beard when you're a little boy. And uh, I remember doing this when I was a kid too. And my sister was in the kitchen and she had a piece of paper that she was dunking in, uh, in tea to stain the paper and then she would take the paper and burn the edges around it on the stove and draw a treasure map. This is the way to make a treasure map. Everybody knows this. 
And I remember doing this as a kid, and this was always the best day when my mom made a treasure map, or I found a treasure map in my room or something like that. And immediately upon grabbing the treasure map, I look at it, and I'm like, where did this come from? And I'm like, this looks like one of my mom's. Looks like one of my mom's treasure maps. So you know it's going to be good. It's got, it's, it, you know, it looks exactly like what my mom would do. And I, I, she's trustworthy because I know she always, she's got some cool treasure lined up for me to find somewhere. And it wasn't just an ordinary treasure map where you have some sort of dotted line that leads to an X. You have a dotted line that goes through caves and caverns and has you stop over here to fight the monster in the basement. And that was dad. And then you, 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 know, you go over here and then you, you and your brother have to fight over this thing over here. And then there was a journey and a kind of a process that you're, you're taken through. And ultimately at the end, there is a prize. There's an X marks the spot, a thing that it's leading to, the ultimate destination. And these things all put together combined are what this made this map valuable to me as a little boy. And so I have this in mind as we're going to explore this passage this morning. Where does it come from? What is it doing presently? And where is it going? All right, let me pray and then we'll get into it. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you have uh, revealed yourself to us. You have revealed uh, the history of who you are somewhat to us. The fact that you have revealed uh, who we are to us uh, in your word. How you have said that we are more deeply flawed than we could ever imagine, but we are deeply, deeply loved. Thank you for your word, God. We uh, pray that we would um, that we'd be true to your, your gospel message this morning as we look at this passage. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so where does the gospel come from? That is our first question. Verse 11, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Not man's gospel, your translation might also read, not according to man, which tells us something interesting about the gospel. There are versions of the gospel according to man, and there is a version of the gospel not according to man. It sounds very simple, right? There are versions according to man, and there's a version of the gospel not according to man. In fact, at this point in time, when Paul is doing these missionary journeys, Paul's is not the only message that would reach the ears of the people in the surrounding area. Uh, In fact, it's not the only message about Jesus that would reach these people. And while that might sound crazy, if you think about today, all the different messages we hear about Jesus, it's not as strange as you would think. Someone uh, traveling in the countryside with a a message to, to preach was not uncommon. A lot of people made their living that way. And so the people in the the Galatian churches have the difficult task of trying to confirm which gospel message or which message is correct, which still happens today. Everybody has something to say with social media and -and so-and-so's blog and this pastor and that pastor and this famous person and that politician and that celebrity. And to make matters worse, the opponents at this time would criticize Paul's message for a few reasons. First, it was assumed that if you didn't charge anybody any money for hearing you, that it wasn't worth anything. He even mentions this in uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.9. He says, For you remember, brothers, he's talking to the Thessalonians, our labor and toil, we worked night and day so that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul is an anomaly because his message he gives for free. He freely shares it. The second criticism that his opponents had of him was, look, look at his history. 
Look at who Paul was. How can he be trusted? Acts 9.21 says this, All who heard him were amazed and said, Isn't, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? Remember, he was traveling, persecuting churches before he got saved. And third, people thought that Paul was offering a watered-down version of Judaism that was uh, just to please people because it was, it was law-free. Judaism was, was largely, felt largely based around, around, around rites and rituals and, and sacrifices uh, and a relationship with God, yes, but what Paul was offering was it a, a version of that that was specifically based on Jesus Christ and a new covenant. So they thought he was a, a people pleaser for doing this. But verse 10 in Galatians chapter 1, right before the verses that we're going to cover this morning, he says, For I am, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. They said he was a people pleaser. And so Paul has to respond to these criticisms. And this is what he does. He reminds them of the credibility of his source. <clears throat> Paul reminds them of the credibility of his source. Verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, what he's saying is this isn't a hand-me-down gospel. It's not just something that he heard and felt would be advantageous to him in that moment. It wouldn't, he didn't feel it would be advantageous to him in his present life stage. In fact, it was completely the opposite. It, it wasn't just the faith that his parents had that he thought would, uh, you know, would make sense just because it fits. It wasn't the faith that his friends had that he just maintained for appearances sake. It wasn't the faith he considered himself simply because most of his country said that. It wasn't the faith that he held to just because the church he went to didn't require anything of him or, or he's able to slip in and out without being seen. Paul knows that the gospel message and his personal salvation are valid, are real, are valuable, are credible, are true because he received a direct revelation from God. It is rooted and sourced in God. He has had a personal experience with the creator of the universe and now he has a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. And so do you see what's happening here? Paul is using that direct relationship to establish his credibility with other people. If you were trying to convince someone across the table from you about, about the Christian faith, it wouldn't really do you any good to say, well, I believe this because my parents do. Or I believe this because most of my country does. The credibility of something is tied to where it comes from. Uh, I spent some time doing a, a study abroad program with my school uh, in college, and we went and spent some time in Naples, Italy, uh, which was very, very cool. The pizza's really good. And um, at one point, somebody said, hey, I'm going to make a run to Starbucks. Does anybody want anything? And I don't drink coffee, but a lot of my friends did. And so they said, yeah, yeah, we, we want this and that and the other thing. And so they went and brought back you know, your standard uh, coffee cup with the green lid, very Starbucks looking, and drank it and said, just spit it out. I was like, what is this? And he had gone to star, oh, it's a little dark. Can we dim these lights? He had gone to star best coffee. 
star best coffee. And you could tell there wasn't a lot of credibility because this wasn't Starbucks. So if you're trying to evaluate a spiritual message that is coming at you, do you ever examine its source? For example, if you're attending a, a church, do they preach things to please men or do they preach things that are rooted in God's word, which provides direct revelation about what he, who God is and what he's done for us? Does the church you go to only sing songs because those songs are fun or do they sing songs that are rooted in truths of scripture? Is your conviction on certain things, maybe, maybe things of, of politics or, or what have you, or modern day life, are they rooted in how you feel or are they rooted in what God says about them? And we have all sorts, of, all sorts of messages that come to us, spiritual messages. Uh, Jesus is my boyfriend, or God helps those who help themselves, or the gospel will make you healthy and wealthy. These are all sorts of messages that come at us about Jesus and who he is. And so what I want to encourage us to do is evaluate these things against scripture. Now that is not to say that people can, and places and things cannot be instruments used in God bringing people to himself. That is correct. But what I'm trying to say is that every person can have a personal relationship with God. Every person can have a personal relationship with God. And that sounds a little old school. That sounds a little like 90s. You can have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's actually a lot older than that. Uh, 500 years ago, the Roman Catholic Church felt that only the priests were the ones who could read scripture and everyone else had to go into a church and listen to what they had to say because comprehending the word of God was too difficult for the average person. And so reformers like John Calvin and Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli, these are the guys that decided, you know, I don't believe that that is right. And they sought to reform the church, the reformers, <clears throat> saying that every person could read and study God's word and have a personal relationship with him. And so my question is, do you, do you believe this? Do you believe that you can have a personal relationship with God? I imagine trying to... Um, Trying to uh, tell a friend about, uh, about Disney World. Disney World is so fun. Disney World is the best. You, they, have, they have these things and they have that thing, that thing and they have the characters and they have the rides and they have a castle. And, and my friend could be like, oh, this, if they've never heard of Disney, they could be like, that sounds so cool. When was the last time you went? I could say, I never went. I've never been there. That wouldn't bring any credibility to what I'm saying if I didn't have a personal experience at Disney World. I can talk a lot of talk and make it sound like I've been there, but it's not exactly the same. And so I want to encourage you to develop a personal relationship with God. And developing a relationship takes work. It takes getting off the couch. When examining having a personal relationship and a personal experience with God as the source of the gospel, I want to caution you, don't let your personal experience eclipse the rest of the Christian life. Here's what I mean. It may be tempting to neglect Bible teaching, you know, things that have been passed down through church history in favor of your own personal thoughts. But there are good things to be found in teaching. Feel absolutely free to weigh everything against God's word. The word canon, we get the word biblical canon, literally means the rod by which things are measured. Measure everything that you hear against the canon of Scripture. 
Second, likewise, it may also be tempting to feel like because you can have an intimate personal relationship with God, that that means you can totally isolate yourself from the rest of the church body, and that's not right either. As the body of Christ, we, we pursue him together and we, we, we keep each other accountable in those things. I want to speak to those of you who might be watching online right now. I would love to encourage you to go and be part of a church body. Because there's something about being with people and, and keeping each other accountable and encouraging one another to pursue scripture and worshiping together that God asks of us and can help us grow in our personal relationship with him. So what is the source of the gospel? Paul says it comes directly from him. It's not just something that he heard here or there or thought would be good for him in the moment. And we'll talk about that more in a second. I want to move on to the second question. What's the gospel doing now? Verse 13, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Not only is Paul anti-Christian, he is fervently anti-Christian. Verse 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Not only does he persecute believers, he is good at persecuting believers. And then verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. That's verse 15. Verse 15, the word grace is, is, is the, in Greek is charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. Uh, which uh, is where we get the word charisma. It means, uh, Christians, I think, have uh, developed a good, <clears throat> a good definition for it. It means unmerited favor. Paul is doing nothing good right now. He's not seeking Christ. He's seeking to destroy Christ. Unmerited favor means it's something that you do not earn. You are not a good enough parent. You are not a good enough student. You are not a good enough employee to earn God's favor. I want to encourage you who maybe have parents or, or siblings or children who you feel like are very far away from God, uh, so far away from God that almost he couldn't reach them. This is what it says in Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascended to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol or in the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand surely shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day for darkness is as light with you. Paul couldn't get in any darker of a place, Paul couldn't get any further from God. And so if there's hope for Paul, there's hope for your parents or your son or your daughter or your sibling. And I also want to speak to some of you. Maybe you are in this type of place where you feel like you've made one too many mistakes. Maybe you feel like you are a wretch. I want to congratulate you because you are correct. But that's only half the story. Paul writes in Romans chapter 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Don't try to limit God by feeling like you are so far gone that he couldn't possibly redeem you. Don't insult God like that. Because the gospel message that Paul is preaching is this. It, uh, the word gospel means good news, but it's really bad news first, followed by good news later. 
And it's this, that there is a creator God who is holy and perfect and pure and morally excellent and good. And God created mankind, his creation. And as mankind, we have fallen into sin and sickness and shame. And we are unholy creatures. And this sin, this unholiness, creates a divide between us and God because a holy God does not participate with an unholy thing. And no matter how much we try, no matter how much we try to claw ourselves to him, we are never going to reach him. No matter how much you try to be a good parent, no matter how, much, how many good grades you try to get in school, no matter how many raises you try to get in your job, you're never going to reach God. And so what makes Christianity different than any other religion in the world is instead of us trying to reach God, God comes down to us. And he takes matters into his own hands, sending his son Jesus to live a perfect life, die a perfect death as a perfect sacrifice in order to perfect some very imperfect people. And not only was he willing to conquer sin, but he was able to defeat death, rising from the grave after three days, showing his power and his dominion over all things. And now, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And what that looks like now is a relationship with God forever, if we simply trust and believe in the fact that God did this. This isn't just something that I picked up from my parents. You can see that I, Adam, I have a personal relationship with God who has done this for me in my life personally. And so to answer the question, what is the gospel doing now? The gospel is transforming lives. The gospel is presently changing people who have been previously enveloped by sin and turning them into the image of Christ himself. Second uh, uh, Corinthians 3 and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And if you become a, a Christian, you are instantly made holy in the eyes of God who looks on you and sees the righteousness of Jesus. And simultaneously, we are being made holy as we are conformed to the image of Christ. There's a word for this. It's called sanctification. To sanctify, or literally holy-making. And one way Christians participate in this divine act of holy making is through discipleship. So in verse 17, Paul mentions that he goes to Arabia before he goes to Damascus. And then in verse 18, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. I don't want to extrapolate anything here from Scripture. Scholars disagree on what exactly Paul was doing in Arabia for three years. Some say he was preaching the gospel. Some say he was simply learning and studying Scripture. Uh, one thing that is broad but not refuted is that Paul is growing in his relationship with the Lord. Paul is growing in his relationship with the Lord because he's now a disciple of Christ and he takes that seriously. He's spending time learning more about who God is and learning more about thus what God wants. The Christian life isn't just a one and done moment where you pray a prayer at some point in your life. That happens, yes, but there's an ongoing process of growing in your relationship with God. And so I want to ask you, are you being discipled? Are you participating in discipleship? Are you participating in sanctification or the act of holy making, being made holy? Here at Mission View, we have several ways that we are committed to growing as disciples of Christ. Here they are. Every man a warrior, men of iron, the women's if gathering, women's one-on-one -on -one mentorship, 
adult community groups, the Ignite Student Ministry, and then MV Kids, which takes place right in here on Sunday mornings. In a, it's Bible teaching in a context that is understandable for them. Discipleship is a key part of the Christian life, growing in our relationship with God. All right, what else is the gospel doing now? The gospel is multiplying. The gospel is multiplying. Sharing the gospel, sharing the good news, we call this evangelism. Paul seems to take both discipleship and evangelism very seriously. And sometimes we like to choose one or the other. This isn't right. Both are important. Because it says, the ultimately, he goes into the regions of Syria and Cilicia he says, he was pleased to reveal his son to me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul understands that there is a growing process and a spreading. Notice also how he evangelizes the people. Three times in the book of Acts, Paul uses his own personal story of transformation to share the gospel. Do you use your only pers own personal story of transformation to share the gospel? Paul does. I want to encourage you, there is no transformation story too dramatic to share. There's no transformation story too dramatic to share. Look at Paul. Paul went from dragging Christians out of their homes to be executed to being the primary cause or the primary force that God uses for preaching to the Gentiles. There's a website that I, that I would encourage you to write down. It's called IamSecond.com. IamSecond.com is a website that has all sorts of videos of celebrities uh, who have had transformation experiences in their lives. Second, there is no transformation story not dramatic enough. There is no transformation story not dramatic enough. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Sometimes it's tempting. Uh, I hear a lot of Christians say, I don't want to share my testimony because it's not that cool. Or I, I, wasn't, I wasn't a drug addict before and, and, and I'm not now. And so I don't feel like my, my testimony is, that, is as good as somebody else's, you know, who, who did this and that and the other thing in their life. It's common for people to think that because they grew up in a Christian home or with loving parents in a great church, uh, that their story doesn't mean anything. Instead, praise God for your parents and your church. Use this in your story. Share your story with your friends. Share your story with your colleagues. Share your story with your kids. Parents, if you have kids, your children should know how it is you got saved. If your kids don't know, talk about that tonight at the dinner table. Your kids should know. Kids, you sh if your parents are Christians, you should know how it is they got saved. <clears throat> and maybe you feel like that's, uh, that's daunting Maybe you feel like it's daunting to, to, to share your story. Uh, if you feel like that, practice it. Practice sharing it. Practice sharing it with your spouse. Practice sharing it in 10 minutes. Practice it in five minutes. Practice sharing it in one minute. And this way you have kind of an arsenal at your disposal for when you're sitting next to somebody on the plane or you're having a conversation with a colleague at, over lunch or, or wherever. Practice sharing your story. 10 minutes, five minutes, one minute. What the gospel is presently doing is transforming people, discipleship, and multiplying evangelism. And last, where's the gospel ultimately going? <clears throat> where's the gospel ultimately going? Verse 22. 
I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said that he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And then verse 24, and they glorified God because of me. The ultimate end of the Christian life, the ultimate end of the gospel message, spreading out, reaching people, transforming lives, is glory. The word glorify is doxasso, which means, uh, is where we get doxology from. To praise, to extol, to magnify, to celebrate God's glory. The gospel is ultimately leading to, ultimately leading to the glory of God. Both the origin, the source, and the destination are rooted in God as the main character of our redemption narrative, of him reconciling us to himself. Revelation 22.13 says this, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And when you share the gospel, or when you accept and share the gospel, you participate in that glory. You get to see and marvel at the things that God is doing. You get to see and marvel at the things that he's doing in your own life. You get to see and marvel at the things that God is doing in others' lives. How God has taken uh, uh, someone who is addicted to pornography or somebody who is an alcoholic or, or somebody who is, whose marriage is completely falling apart and you see him move and change them to be like his son so that they can also have a relationship with God forever. Not only that, but you, get, you will get to experience eternity in heaven with him witnessing his glory revealed day by day. Colossians 3, 4 says this, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Romans eleven thirty six says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. In 1646, there's something that, uh, that came out called the Westminster Catechism. And it was a series of questions and answers that they would, uh, the, that the church in, in England would ask, um, and they would uh, respond sort of in a, a liturgical fashion. And there was one called the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which was for children. And the very first question of that catechism is this, what is the chief end of man? What is the ultimate purpose of, the of, the, of life, not even just the Christian life. What is the ultimate purpose of life? And this was the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. You can see that there is an element of God having glory and us enjoying that and participating in that. And uh, as, as I was thinking about this, uh, I spent a long time trying to think about a way to describe what that means, the glory of God. Uh, what does that mean? Why, why would that be enough for me to care about Christianity? And then I started, uh, we, Emily and I hung a picture of us uh, from when we got married on our wall recently. And there's a, a picture and it's me seeing her uh, for the first time on our wedding day. And I turned around and I saw her and then I cried and it was, it was real bad. And I was thinking about this and Emily on our wedding day had an infectious radiance to her. 
And I, I love my wife, and I, I loved her then, and I love her now, but it, it wasn't just my love for her that made me want to be around her, made me want to be near her. She was the bride on, on the wedding day, okay? She was the superstar. And I just, I just wanted to be close to her. I said, I want, to be, I want to be near you. You know, you know this if you ever go to a wedding, even if it's not your, wife, your wedding, and you see the bride, you're like, I, I want to go talk to her. Look at her. She's got this infectious radiance about her. Kind of the same way if, uh, if you ever go to a, I remember going to a play uh, as a little kid. My, my older sister was really into theater and I remember um, we would go out in the lobby and all the actors would come by at the end. You're like, look at them. They're just people, but for some reason after a play, they're like, they're covered in makeup and that guy's hair is gray, but he's only 14. <laughs> Glory is an infectious radiance that God has inherently in and of himself that he simultaneously allows us to participate in. And so my questions for you this morning is, is, is your gospel sourced in God? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? Is he your source? Or is it just something that you believe because it makes sense with your life right now or whatever. Second, what is happening right now in your life? What is happening right now? Are you being transformed to be more like the image of God? Are you being transformed to be more conformed to Christ and his life? Are you participating in discipleship or do you come on Sundays and you sit and then you go home and that's, that's it. That's your weekly dose of spiritual things. And are you multiplying? Is the gospel multiplying? Does your family know? Do your neighbors know? Do your colleagues know? And third, where is it ultimately going? Is it ultimately going back to God being glorified, to the glory of God? Let me pray. God, we recognize that we are sinful sinners who sin. We recognize that there is a gap between us, that there is a divide between us because you are a holy God and we are unholy people. God, I pray that you would allow us to understand what it is that you've done for us, that you've taken care of the problem by sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross, be buried and resurrect three days later so that now we can have a right relationship with you. I pray that that good news isn't something that we just conjure up within us, but we understand it is from you and that we can have a personal relationship with you now. God, I pray that you would uh, allow us to be transformed, that you would help us to multiply and share the gospel so that others can have a right relationship with you and that we can spend eternity in heaven with you in glory, that we can participate in the infectious radiance that you have, in the infectious love that you have, in the infectious goodness that you have, in the infectious glory that you have. I pray that you would help us to do these things. In Jesus' name. Amen.